This is the story of a sudden attack in the night. It's found in chapter 32 of Genesis, beginning with verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites did not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is a story of God for the very people of God. Thanks be to God. About five years ago, I had my children all nestled in bed, and I was asleep too. When I woke to the back door opening and closing and the house alarm sounding, intruder alert, intruder alert, I nudged my husband who was still sleeping soundly next to me. Do you hear that? Someone is in the house. Get up, big guy, protect me. I was surprised, I was afraid, and I was bracing for an attack. Keith woke up and he stumbled out of our bedroom door and I shielded myself behind him. We both walked across the living room to the open back door, but you know what? There was no intruder, no attack. There was instead an escapee. Our youngest was sleepwalking, and in search of his father, he opened the back door to go outside because outside is the obvious place to find his father in the daylight hours. I need you to know that this story in Genesis, read in isolation, just seems like an intrusion, a random and really rather odd attack on Jacob, an attack on Israel, an all-night wrestling match with a man who can't seem to overpower Jacob but has the strength to knock his hip out of socket with just one touch. It's strange. But you see, this story is no intrusion. It fits very nicely into the larger story of Jacob, and I think it quite clearly identifies our calling as a people. You will remember how Jacob tricked his brother Esau out of the birthright and out of the father's blessing. Then he hit the road. He hit the road to avoid his brother's fury. He was away for enough years to build a fortune or to manipulate a fortune. And when he's ready to return home, Jacob is savvy enough to send a message to Esau 
I've acquired much wealth, and I'm going to use it to gain your favor. A message then promptly returns to Jacob. Esau is on his way to meet you, and he's bringing 400 men with him. Yikes, that sounds like an army. An attack is headed Jacob's way, so he's afraid, and he's distressed, and he is alone. Before he settles in for the night, Jacob prays, and this is the longest prayer found in the book of Genesis. It's about 10 verses before our passage in chapter 32, and in this prayer, Jacob admits, he admits his fear to God, and he asks for deliverance. This is good, but keep in mind we're dealing with Jacob here. It's not beneath him to manipulate God, and so twice in this prayer, Jacob prays, you said, Lord, you would do me good. You said, Lord, you would bless me, so do it. After praying, Jacob sends a gift to Esau. It's a gift of herds of animals, goats and sheep, camels and donkeys, and then there are servants and there are messengers, and it's all for Esau. See, every chance he gets, Jacob manipulates, he pulls, he grabs, he struggles. He lives into his name and the story of his birth. He is a heel grabber. Is it any wonder that this guy can't sleep, but instead will struggle all night? In all honesty, the truth about Jacob is he's a bit of an instigator. He doesn't seem to mind conflict. In fact, he picks a fight. And you and I might be tempted to excuse this as a character flaw, except for the fact that this scene of the sudden attack in the night, this scene of Jacob's name change is the place that Jacob also calls, it's here where I saw God face to face, which tells me God doesn't shy away from conflict. Allowing, encouraging, even welcoming a good fight. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And while there's some dispute about the exact meaning of the name Israel, I like the translation that sounds like this. One who struggles with God. Or one who strives with God. One who wrestles with God. Israelites. Sons and daughters of Jacob see themselves as those who struggle, those who hang in there for a blessing. We are fighters. I'm pretty taken with a movie right now that's called Troop Zero. The movie Troop Zero takes place in a small rural town in Georgia, Wigley, Georgia, in the year 1977. And it's about a group of misfit children who are putting together what they call a birdie scout troop, to earn badges, to sell cookies, and to compete in the annual jamboree. The main character in this movie is a cute, precocious, but very uncoordinated little girl named Christmas. And when she's not tripping to the ground, bullies are pushing her to the ground. At one point, she asks, why are y'all so mean to me? And the response from the bullies is, it just feels right. We're at the top and you're at the bottom. Christmas works hard. She works hard to gather the minimum amount of scouts for her troop. And she's given the only troop number left in the state of Georgia, the number zero. Then the group searches for a troop mother. None of them seem to have an actual mother handy. 
They con the only adult they know, Miss Raylene, who initially says, little girls, give me the creeps. They say, lead us to glory. Those are the words from the Birdie Scout handbook. Lead us to glory. But the girls put it this way. Show us how to be better, Miss Raylene. Show us how to be better. Miss Raylene's advice that shows up more than once in the movie is simply this. Don't stay down. When they push you to the ground, don't stay down. When you trip to the ground, don't stay down. That's a no, ma'am, she says. Get back up. Stay in the fight. I don't know about you, but 2020 seems to be full of attacks in the night for me. I heard a comedian say recently, it's getting to where when we hear the word surprise, we all wince, bracing ourselves for the bad news. My soul knows what it's like to take a blow in the cover of darkness. It's in my recent memory to be not exactly clear on the identity of the attacker and to not be clear on what's going to be required of me. I know what it is to wake up sore and to limp around. I get Jacob. I understand him. But here's what I forget. What I forget about the site of the attack is that it's also the site of the blessing. In the midst of the scuffle, Jacob insists on a blessing. He says, I will not let you go. I will not release you until you bless me. And then in verse 29, it's really clear in the midst of a story that's very vague. Jacob is blessed. He's blessed right there in the midst of the attack. So ask to sum up this important Bible story in one word, which word would you pick? Attack or blessing? It's clearly both. And I believe that's the truth for the year 2020 as well. It's both an attack and it is a blessing. Here's the real stretch for me. Not just in striving for the blessing in the middle of the attack, but the real stretch for me is in welcoming the attack. I just don't know if I can get there. I value peace and health and some sense of normalcy. Gosh, I miss it. Charles Wesley was the brother of John Wesley, and he wrote a hymn in the 1700s about this very Bible story. It's called, Come, O Thou Traveler Unknown. Come, O Thou Traveler Unknown. Okay, let me translate that into modern-day language. Bring it on. Bring it on. I welcome the fight. And what becomes clear as the hymn unfolds is that Charles Wesley is so convinced of God's great love and mercy. The whole fourth verse is about God's great love and mercy that, well, that Wesley simply welcomes the fight. He sings about an assault in the night. Bring it on, he says. Richard Rohr is the name of the teacher who we heard from in the earlier video, he says that the way up for the soul is first the way down. The way up is first the way down. And he teaches 
that this is the reason many people never get to the fullness that their own life has to give them. They just can't take the descent. They can't take the pain, the struggle. For most of us, Rohr says, a fortune or a reputation has to be lost, a death has to be suffered, a house has to be flooded, or a disease endured. There is necessary suffering to gain true wisdom, to gain the fullness of life. Jesus said it. We must lose life to gain it. You see, I, I think what we get in... Chapter 32 of Genesis is the very place where Jacob finally steps into the fullness of the identity that God wills. Pete Enns and Jared Bias are biblical scholars who wrote a book that's titled Genesis for Normal People. And they say in Genesis for Normal People, it's here where Jacob finally grows up. We see it clearly in the very next chapter, chapter 33, where he actually meets Esau in person. For the first time in years, Jacob looks up and he sees Esau coming into his presence. And instead of hiding, Jacob pushes himself to the front of his entourage to meet his brother face to face. And when he gets there, he bows seven times. This is a sign of submission. And Esau, instead of taking the chance to knife him in the back, <laughs> Esau embraces Jacob. And Jacob does a curious thing. Jacob urges, he begs, he pleads with Esau to accept the gifts that he brings. And in Hebrew, the word for gift is the very same word as the word for blessing. So here's how Pete Enns puts it. The thing the brothers quarreled over as children, the blessing, it's the very thing that they want the other to have in a most desperate way. You see, Jacob finally gets it. He finally gets it. Struggle not to steal the blessing, but struggle to give it away. Fight to bless other people. I watched many of the events that surrounded the honoring of Representative John Lewis this week, and I learned that John Lewis was a Baptist preacher before he was a freedom writer, before he was a congressman. I heard that the advice that he gave to young activists in his 1998 memoir was simply this, the best way to help yourself is to help each other. Work for each other, push for each other, pull for each other. Hey, that is the very definition of an Israelite. May we all get to the end of this trying time, having fought not just to receive the blessing, but also to give it away. Pray with me. Eternal God, where we see an attack, you see a blessing. Give us the confidence and the strength to struggle until your mercy is evident. May we fight for one another, pushing and pulling and demanding that all walk in the light of a new day. Amen.
this, I believe, is August the 2nd, and mm -hmm. so we are to the first Sunday of a month where we usually celebrate Holy Communion. Since we can't be in one another's presence, we will celebrate an agape feast. When we break bread together as a church in our worship, we remember that Jesus invited people to his table throughout his ministry, not just at the Last Supper. So we wanted to create a way for all of us to break bread together this morning with whatever we have to eat and drink in our homes. Bread, crackers, a bagel, cereal, anything is fine, and something to drink, water, juice, coffee, whatever you have. Jesus used the parable of a great banquet to which all people are invited in order to talk about the kingdom of God, the family of God, what it looks like. He said, go to the highways and back alleys and urge people to come in so that my house may be filled. He often invited the most unlikely guests to his meal times, confounding the disciples. In this way, he was encouraging a deep love and connection beyond social norms. He knew that we humans need connection and inclusion. Jesus comforts us saying, you have a place at this table. And Jesus challenges us to make sure we are doing the same, that all people know that they are welcome in our hearts, in our homes, in our churches, even if we can't physically be together right now. It's difficult in this moment not to be near some of the people that we love and might be worried about. Take a moment and say out loud the names of people you wish were right there next to you at your table today. Jesus is no longer physically on earth, yet every time we gather around a table and remember him, he is present with us in spirit. And so too our loved ones are with us. Let this be a comfort for us. We also want to remember the people we cannot name, whose names we do not know, but we know they need our prayers and God's comfort. So we pray for those who have lost loved ones. For those who are sick or recovering. For those who are caring for loved ones who are sick at home. For those who are caring for persons in medical care. For those who are separated for, from loved ones. For those who are feeling alone and isolated. For those who are helping and are so very tired. For those who are struggling to find friends, food, and comfort. For those who are afraid. I invite you to take a deep breath on behalf of all those we do not know and cannot call by name. As we do so, we know that God knows who needs our prayers in the spirit. The breath of God is blowing from within us outward as a spirit of compassion and presence. Blessings at the table are part of our Judeo-Christian heritage. Indeed, Jesus adapted his Jewish ritual blessings spoken before and after meals. He asked us to remember him whenever we break bread and raise a cup in thanksgiving. This is why we call our communion prayer the great thanksgiving. In this feast of love and comfort, we can call to mind things for which we are deeply grateful. I invite you to speak aloud a couple of things that you are grateful for in this moment.
And now I invite you to raise a plate of something on your table or a glass of whatever you are drinking. And let's bless our tables together. Pray with me. Holy Comforter, we gather in your name, invited by Jesus, bound together with your spirit in union with each other. Feed our bodies and our spirits with your comforting presence so that we might be your comfort to others. Bless this food and break open our hearts. Bless this drink and pour out your love. Amen. As you eat and drink this morning, I invite you to imagine what extravagant love looks like as you reach across the social distance to loved ones, to friends, and even to acquaintances and strangers. May you shelter not only in, in place, but in peace. May the peace and comfort of Christ be present with you now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>